Welcome to Pro Soccer Weekly. Pro Soccer Weekly. Welcome to Pro Soccer Weekly. My name is Phil Nasons and I'm one of three hosts bringing you the best in professional soccer news, soccer betting news, and whatever else comes to our head. You can listen to this show daily at 7 p.m. on CSN Sports Radio. And if you would like to bring Pro Soccer Weekly to your radio station or internet radio station, or even your website, you can contact me at flash at cashwithflash.com. And I promise you, we will make a deal that is suitable for both of us. I have co-hosts I told you about. Please welcome Eric Laurendini and Gary Lewis to their own show. What's happening, boys? What's happening, boys? How is everybody? Well, I'm doing great. You know what? I had a great chat with my new friend. And I had a fun time talking to him. And yeah, what are you doing, Eck? Much appreciated, buddy. Oh, yeah. Anytime. What's up with you, Eck? Oh, all good here. Enjoying some uh, decently warm weather for this time. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. All uh, good. You know what? The Can sun... you send, send, send some our way? Uh, I, I'm doing it right now. You know Ice what? cold. The sun Email is shining me. here, <laughs> but I have no time to go out. I've been busy all day. But it is what it is. We have COVID issues in the Premier League. We have COVID issues in the Scottish Premier League. What's going on with the Celtics? Well, I mean, uh, sorry, do you want to do you want to carry on? No, go right ahead. I'm very no. I mean, listen, there has been yeah. There's well, I mean, listen. Obviously, yeah. Everybody recognizes the current climate and the situation that everybody's in. Um, certainly, you know, from a personal point of view in the UK, cases are, are rising and exponentially. And, you know, we're on a full lockdown again, um, you know, w- w- driving around and whatever that means. Uh, it doesn't certainly doesn't feel like the first lockdown. That's that's for sure. Um, but obviously in the current climate, you've got you've got a team from Scotland whose cases have have uh, have gone through the roof and 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 they decide to travel over to to Dubai. Um, listen, who wouldn't want to go to Dubai middle of January if you live in the UK? Right. Um, but <laughs> but I mean, this or is, any this time is of the year, that, or any time of the year. I mean, it's, it's you know the, the the weather's perfect over there at the moment, 25, 26 degrees, and you know it's it, listen. I mean, first and foremost, this has been something that's. It's a tradition for for a lot of teams to go over to to Dubai at this time of year, um, when when they they have a winter break. So obviously it doesn't apply to to, to England, to the Premier League, or you know the the, the football league over here. But Scotland they they, they do because obviously the weather's a, a little bit worse than it is down here. But um, you know this it's uh, it's been you know four five six years uh, since certainly Brendan Rodgers was there. Um, he used to take the team away and, you know, take them away for some, you know, rest, relaxation, some warm weather. Um, you know, they used to take families with them and things like that. Obviously, they, they haven't done that this year. But the idea was to get them away and out of the environment and, and you know, sort of, you know, recharge the batteries. But um, this this was something that was, that was decided um, way before, you know, the, the the true reflection of this this pandemic uh, or the second wave, as we say, um, materialised. Um, the, the the interesting thing from from this is that they, they were due to play Hibernian on Monday night, 
um, or the Monday night after they returned, and um, they 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 were asked to postpone the game, and the the, the Hibernian um, hierarchy were obviously completely against this. But as Celtic were the home team, then the Scottish FA actually adhered to their requests. So obviously there was a big hoo-ha before they'd even left the country. Um, there was a massive um, sort of let's have a go regime at, at, at Celtic and, and from their own fans as well, because you know the the twenty odd points behind Rangers, which is unheard of since Steven Gerrard went up there, um, and they decide to go on a private private jet um, over to to the Middle East, and obviously. Somebody's contracted, I think it was Chris, Christopher Julian's uh, tested positive on his return. You know, and obviously he's he's been in and around the the the, the bubble of the plane and um, mixing with everybody. You know what it's like when you're traveling away with the, with the boys. You know, everybody's mixing and things like that. And it's been an absolute circus, to be honest. And, um, you know, the, 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 I think it's the chairman or the, the CEO of, of Celtic has, has actually come back now and said, Listen, we'll hold our hands up. It was, um, you know, with hindsight, that word is, you know, massively used at the moment. With hindsight, we shouldn't, shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. But to, to allow some, you know, a, a travelling party of 30-odd people to leave a country, to go to the Middle East and then come back, halfway through a season, for me, personally, in my opinion, is absolutely ludicrous. You know, surely common sense would prevail and say, listen, insight of you know what's going on at the moment why would be we even consider you know we, we could hire a facility and turn the heaters on you know it'll be warm do you know what i mean we just won't have the burj al arab around us and, and and what have you um you know and golden sands so i think i think it was um you know a, a miscalculation a big miscalculation on celtic's part to even think about traveling yet alone actually traveling so and it's come back to bite them on the backside so you know the repercussions of that will last until the end of the season listen i i just got off the phone with uh with uh celtic coach and uh i'm getting the call up so you guys are gonna have to finish this podcast on your own all right because right? they're in yeah, big trouble they're so devoid of players at this point in time that uh yeah you know that they're they're just pulling at straws here. Well, you sure still wouldn't make the side there. <laughs> you know what? Wow. You still be you still be sub if ten were ten were available. <laughs> I'm joking. Look, man, I, I I told I told my new friend that I could play football, and I scored a goal in my only game, and I was an adult against Europeans who thought they could play. Bottom line is, I would love I would love to have a mulligan, really. Well, no, because I wouldn't have met any of you guys then. I would have been like Ronaldo, but uh. Needless to say, the Celtics, they have issues for real, and they have to play, and they're hosting the team, and this is not going to be a very good thing. And this is supposed to happen on Monday night, but the funny part of it all is is that these guys are all holed up in a hotel or wherever, quarantining. <laughs> would you want to play against them? If you were Hibernian, would you want to play against this team? Listen, at this point in time, you know that all the people that, that uh, have a COVID-related, uh, you know, either have it or have been in contact with it, 
you know they're all out of the picture. So it's probably the safest time to play them, honestly. And being devoid of uh, all the players that they are, it almost might be a lock for three points. You never know. Well, there's yeah, it could be. But you know what I would be worried about? And the Hibernian players are worried. They, they're, they're concerned about this. They don't want to go in contact with them. But this was bad, bad, bad. But hindsight is always twenty twenty. Who wouldn't want to go to uh, Dubai, even if you have to hit that mat five times a day? I mean, it's still pretty warm there. But that was just a bad call. And you know what? I hope they lose because they deserve it. They had their fun. They had their holiday. But now it's time to buck up. And if you're 20 points behind the Rangers, if they lose to this team on Monday night, there could be bigger riots in Scotland than there will be in Washington. Well, certainly in Glasgow. For sure in Glasgow. C- certainly in Glasgow. I For mean, sure. you, you know, the more you read of it, I, th- I think it's Leanne Dempster who's the um, the chief executive of um, of Celtic. And, and, you know, she she's actually took time to come and apologise to, to, to the, the Hibs fans um, and the players and the head coach you know, and and this, the, all of this, the, the fixture change was done without her knowledge. So you know, th- this was already agreed that right, okay, because you're the home team, and I, and apparently, the, the, I'll have to look into this. I think there's some some kind of law that states if you're the home team and you request the fixture change, then because you're the home team, then more often than not, it's going to be granted. Um, you know that. Think about this. You know, you put it all into perspective. You know, this is this is not because, you know, we've got a couple of issues with COVID. This is because my team is going to Dubai. You know, we're going there for a holiday, a jolly up, not because we've got COVID issues. It, I mean, it, it beggars belief. It really does. And the more, more and more you read into it, you know, they've been sold down the stream, Hibernian. They really have. And I, like, Phil, listen, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm a massive fan of Steven Gerrard, one of the best players I've ever seen. I've played, I played against him as a, as a young lad, uh, you know, many, many times. And he was an absolutely outstanding, outstanding footballer. And I'm so pleased that he's doing really well at one of the biggest clubs on the planet in Glasgow Rangers. I mean, Celtic are big enough. Glasgow Rangers have more of a global following than many of the top six in the Premier League. That's right, Um, they do, yeah, sure. So, you know, it would be absolutely fantastic. I will actually stand and applaud an ex-Liverpool player um, for winning the, the Scottish Premier League and ousting Celtic off their perch or taking Celtic off their perch like Alex Ferguson wanted to do with Man United. He wanted to knock um, Liverpool off their perch when he came down south. And he, and he did that. And, and listen, good luck to Stevie G. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased for him. He's doing a fabulous job up there. And, you know, for Celtic fans, you know, they must be, you know, t- turning the porridge at the moment because, you know, things are not... Ri- you know things are not good there at the moment. They're getting a lot of bad press, um, and obviously, as a result of this, everybody's asked, asked to isolate. So it's an it's a knock-on effect for the uh, the Scottish Premier League fixtures over the next you know ten fourteen days. So more. you know m- more fool them exactly or more yeah or yeah I mean you know the repercussions it could be a little bit longer but you know more fool them and you know I hope they had a good time. I hope a couple of players got sunburned. 
Um, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> all the stories I could tell about that. It is what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Dubai oh. is a fabulous place. I've been there before, and it, it is a fabulous place. But it you is know, a fabulous place. I've talked. Uh, let's let's put all this into context. Oh, unbelievable! Seven stunning, star stunning resort. Building. Correct. Beautiful, beautiful facility. I'll tell you what, though, Eric, this is going to be if if they. I don't know how familiar you are with the Scottish league, but this is going to be a holy war. If if Celtic loses to Rangers this year, right? It's gonna be a holy war. Yeah, listen, I agree, and uh, they they most likely will. And uh, you know what? Good for them. And sometimes it's nice to have a changing of the guard. Uh, you know, it's it's you're seeing it happening in other leagues as as well too. You know, Barcelona is no longer the darling of La Liga. There's there's uncertainty as to you know whether they'll even compete in the top four. Uh, but listen. Good for Gerard. This is certainly going to open up doors for him. I mean, his his pathway to bigger and better opportunities is is right there for the taking. But the pitches there are awful. They're all sloped and crap. I I the Dundee football team they came out to Corfu and trained, and I got in fact I got a kit from them. It was really fun. But the coaches they say, oh, it's pissed to play in that country. The this the uh the whole the pitch is sloped. You can stand in the goal box, and, and you're looking up. I said, that's how tennis courts are built. He goes, ah, come on, come on. Yeah, well, it is what it is. But you know what? <laughs> they, I'm sure the excuses will be flying when they lose to the Rangers this year. That will be horrible. But uh, you mentioned Barcelona. So. Okay, you mentioned Barcelona. Now, I'm going to counter that. I think they have internal problems more than anything. What do you think about that, Eric? Oh, there's definitely internal problems there. There's, there's no question. You know, you bring in a new manager, you know, there's there's been no love lost between uh, the administration and and uh, and uh, Messi, as as well as possibly some of the other players. You know, um, I mean, Messi's looking for a new chapter of his life, I think. Uh, so def definitely some internal problems there to contend with. Uh, I mean, we'll never really know, you know, what's happening behind, uh, you know, the closed doors. But uh, listen, you know, that could be said for a lot of places. You know, there's always internal uh, turmoil, you know, especially when you're dealing with uh, iconic type players. Um, some some clubs just do a better job of, of suppressing it and uh, not letting it get out there. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely something going on there internally. And, and I think um, come June, uh, I think that there's going to be definitely some uh, – some excitement around uh, Barcelona for sure. Maybe so. Uh, maybe so. But uh, one thing that the Premier League is telling folks, and I think this is becoming more and more prevalent, is that you can't celebrate scoring a goal anymore because you're afraid you're going to pass it off to your teammates. I don't understand the reasoning behind that because they, they still interact with each other and they play kind of close against their opponents. What is with this football or lack of a celebration because it's hard to score a freaking goal at that level gas yes, fill us in you probably scored more goals than that right it's doubtful uh doubtful how many goals did you score in your career <laughs> but you were now but what positions me, did me, you play personally well it, it, it depends it depends from you know what age range you you, you look at um professionally uh, I, well, I played as a winger. I was I was providing for people to score, but oh, right. uh, I chipped in. Listen, I chipped in with uh, 
quite a few. Listen, oddly enough, I mean, I'm left-footed, you know. Um, you know, I, I like to think my left foot was, was you know, was, as good as a lot of people's. And um, usually a lot of people said my right foot was just for standing on. But the best goal I ever scored. The best, the best goal I ever scored the was with my right foot. Yes, correct. You know, I had a meandering uh, sort of third man run roll. Uh, sort of ball was going down the right side, and it was cut across the box. And I sort of ventured towards the centre of the pitch, just outside the, uh, the 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 penalty box. And I just hit, I thought I'm gonna I'm just gonna crack this. Enough pace on the ball. Uh, I, you know, I read the pace of the ball, saw the keeper off his line, and I just bent the ball into the top corner. Bend it like Beckham, baby. And I, I, I was, I was more surprised than, than my teammates were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, listen, I mean, you know, celebrating. Listen, when you, when you, in any sport, when you achieve something, or you, or, or you, you know, like, you know, you, for, you know, from my point of view, you score a goal. There, there is no feeling like it especially when there's a crowd there with you now i hope i'm not speaking out of turn here but robbie fowler probably for me one of the best center forwards ever ever to play the game played for liverpool manchester city leeds and then you know a number of other clubs he was the most naturally gifted footballer from a rough part of um liverpool similar to wayne rooney and he said and like i say i hope i'm not speaking out of context here you know it won't offend anybody he said Scoring a goal, the feeling is better than sex. All right. And, uh, you know, everybody was like, well, what does he mean? But the adrenaline rush and the, the, the sense of achievement that you, that you get from scoring a goal, sometimes you lose yourself in the moment. Now, I'm pretty sure, you know, when people, people you know, murder people and, and, and you have psychologists and, and psych, psychiatric people, you know, all this world's best scientist analyzing these people these mass murderers and things like what 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 triggered it what led them to and, it, and I, i'm you know to all intents and purposes it's a very similar it's a very similar sort of feeling it's an urge it's it's this this sense of achievement and you know it's it's a it's a it's a strange feeling because five minutes later you know it's 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 like you've come down off off um you know a class A drug. It's <laughs> right. an unbelievable feeling. You lose, you lose all, you know, you lose all your, your all your, um, your, your, your fitness. You, you, you lose everything. You're incapacitated for a spell. And and I understand. I never understood it, but I fully understand now, being a coach, that you're at your most vulnerable when you've scored a goal, because you're all high. You're all hyper. The adrenaline's rushing and things like that. You've just had a moment with the boys. You know where all of you are together. One of the biggest things I we were taught at Manchester United is when you score a goal, it doesn't matter if you're the goalkeeper and you're in the opposite corner of the field, you all go and celebrate together. And that was a trait that Sir Alex Ferguson instilled from under nines up to you know first team. And that was something that if you didn't do it, if you didn't go and celebrate with your teammates, you know you were like, well, why weren't you over there? And, and there was no excuse. So everybody celebrated. All eleven players would run to the centre circle, and we'd all celebrate. So the goalkeeper could make up the yards, and then we'd regroup. And then you know we might lose a goal thirty seconds later because we we can't contain our excitement. I Pep Guardiola's made a really good point today. Um, you know, I think it's he was saying rather than suggesting that players players are flouting the rules, 
you know, I think the government would probably be better off examining, you know, their own mishandling of the pandemic rather than making footballers scapegoats. Now, footballers, they're all, they're all in their own bubbles. So they're all negative. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the pitch. Why are they not allowed, My, in my opinion, why are they not allowed to go and celebrate together when they're all in their own bubbles? That doesn't make sense for me. I understand why people are saying it, but I, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, there's a lot of footballers who, ex-footballers have come out and said, yep, yeah, footballers are being selfish at the moment. They shouldn't be celebrating and this, that and the other. You know, really, would they have done the same in their back in their day? I'm pretty sure they would have done. You know, that was another that was another argument. So there's talk now of we we can only fist pump and stuff like that. Listen, that's all right. You know, we're we're in unprecedented times. So if we, I think if we all agree that okay, there's no fans, there's no crowd. So, you know, we can't run off to them and we all celebrate together in, you know, the best part of the stadium, whatever it may be. A certain stand might have the, you know, the most songs and be the most vocalist. Um, but I think there's going to be an agreement where where the players will can only fist pump um, moving forward. I think that's the only way people are going to get off off everybody's back. Celebrating. That's a big thing. How many times did you celebrate when you scored goals, Eric? Always, always, whether it was twice or not, it was always because to Gaz's point, it's such an emotional adrenaline rush and just being a part of, you know, helping your squad, you know, hopefully come, come away on the right side of the score sheet or just being a part of that and having your teammates celebrate you and your effort. And, and I mean, it's just, it really is an incredible, incredible feeling. So I, I think, listen, goals should be celebrated. I, I also think that being that none of these players would be on the pitch if they hadn't already passed their test or had a negative test. So it's probably the safest environment to be in at that point in time. So celebrating, I don't really think anything's being transmitted while, while goals are being cel- uh, celebrated. Uh, for sure. And um, I think, listen, people need to see it. The players need to feel it. Uh, they need to have that excitement surrounding the game. And, and uh, you know, we can't have fans in the stands to really any extent. So they're all home, you know, watching it on TV. And, and uh, you know, they need a reason to celebrate. And they celebrate right there along with you. I, I just think it, it's an important part of the game. Um, you know, also to Gaz's point, you know, there is there is that moment of of total elation. Um, you slayed the dragon, you know, you you you've just taken over the castle, you've stormed the castle and you've taken it over. Uh, I mean, it's such an incredible feeling, but there is that letdown, you know, after the fact. And, and that is something that, um, you know, players need to find the balance, you know, once they once they score. Um have sort of a mantra or something that that keeps you keeps you level headed and, and keeps you focused on the task ahead. Uh, but um, listen, on field activities and off field activities, I, I know that they they to some measure, you know, become one. Um, but again, nobody's on the field or nobody's around the pitch that hasn't been tested and that hasn't been proven that they they can be there. 
safely to themselves and and to everybody else around them. Uh, you know, protocols are important, maybe more critical now than ever. Uh, but I, I honestly don't think that uh, that there's any transmission happening as a result of these players celebrating goals. You know, the tennis world, one of the biggest things is that when you talk about slaying dragons and being euphoric, it's it's no greater pleasure in life than to slay the number one player on center court at Wimbledon. I never did this, but I've had students who have, who beat the guy that the crowd was in love with and were hooting on you, and there's nothing better than when you win and hold up that trophy and everybody loves you. They just do. And because there's no fans in the stands, that doesn't happen for tennis players. Now, one of my students won a tournament toward the end of last year, and he said, I wanted to celebrate, but there was nobody to celebrate with. (laughs) And, And that's a hard thing. So I would think that they ought to just take a chill pill on this. That bottom line. So you look right. So listen, let me let me let me just let me just uh, put in there, Phil. You, so Aston Villa, Aston Villa played the under 18 stroke, under 21s, under 23s, whatever it may be, last week in the FA Cup against Liverpool, just to make sure that the game was on. Now the young kid there, um, Louis Barry, 17, 16, 17 years old, scored the first goal in the game, and this kid is a lifelong. Um, dad and lad, avid family Aston Villa supporter. And he scored his first goal, first professional goal, without any fans, without his family there. His family would have watched it at home on TV. And the elation and the innocence in that kid's head, in his eyes, when he scored that goal, and every single one of his teammates who were in the same situation as him, vying for a new contract or vying for a professional contract, whatever it may be, an extension on the contract, ran over to him. And you're telling me that that that, that was just a complete natural impulse from everybody concerned and connected with that goal. The kid floated on air for the rest of the game. You know, he actually took his, took his shirt off and swap. He asked Fabinho um, from Liverpool. Fabinho was fabulous. He, he took his shirt off and gave it to him. And then he subsequently gave uh, Fabinho his shirt. And then his coach turned around to him and said, "Listen, why go and get your shirt back? Because that's your debut shirt." So the kid was completely lost in the whole emotion of the event, scoring a goal. That he forgot to keep his own shirt, and he give it to he give it he give it to you know an established Brazilian international who's won everything, and Fabinho actually gave it back to him, and said, "Listen, cherish that." Right. I mean, and you're telling me you have to you have to sort of how can you, how can you not lose yourself in that that moment? And for me. I mean, you know, it was all over the papers the following day. You know, he's like a blue-eyed, starry-eyed young kid playing in the park when he was 10 years old. You know, and that's that's what dreams are made of. And, you know, like Eric says, and I said before, you're all in your own bubble. You're all negative. You're all celebrating together. I mean, you know, school kids are doing the same thing. They're all kept in their own bubbles. They're eating together. 
Do you understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. They they're, all their, they're all in their own bubbles. They don't mix with anybody else. You know, they, they, you know the, 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 biggest, the biggest issue is that they're actually shaking hands at the end of the game. Some of them are, or somebody commits a foul and, you know, you pick somebody who you fouled, you pick them up and you have to pick them up by the hands. That's, that's probably one of the underlying issues, you know, in terms of celebrating when you're sort of cross-contaminating. Crazy stuff, I'll tell you. But, you know, when I talk about celebrating in tennis, you're not going to see too many American men doing that right now. We'll see if that changes in the next, say, 10 years. But one thing we are seeing a lot of, and that's Americans scoring goals and doing big things in Premier Leagues like the Bundesliga, where Matthew Hoppe scored a hat-trick and Schalke won over Hoffenheim. Three goals in a game. What is with these Americans, Eric? Americans are coming like a storm into the European leagues. It's just, it's, it's so great to see from my perspective, from the perspective of a, of a, a young boy playing over here, uh, knowing that, you know, there are realistic opportunities uh, for them to, to break through and play uh, in some of the best leagues on the planet, to play with some of the best players on the planet, um, I mean, we, we have, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, we had the dawning of, you know, what was really, truly the beginning of the U.S. Development Academy. Um, and clubs all around the U.S. got these sanctions from, from the U.S. men's national team, from the U.S. soccer program to go ahead and have these development academies. And, uh, you know, the influences that they've had, um, Better coaching, better standards of coaching, better better understanding of what it's like to be a professional athlete, um, better opportunities to compete um, in 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 a, an environment uh, in Europe where it's far more conducive to their development over a shorter period of time. Um, I mean, the U.S. I think is finally you know getting on getting some standards where these kids really are, are now contributing um, both here, in, you know, in the MLS, in college, and uh, now most certainly, uh, you know, over the seas uh, to, to Europe. I mean, there's probably somewhere in the ballpark of 40 to 50 Americans playing um, either in the top first or second uh, level of a number of professional leagues overseas, including the English Premier League, including La Liga, uh, including the Bundesliga. Um, I mean, we've covered in the past uh, players like Weston McKinney, uh, who, who was originally playing for, who was he with, um, with Schalke? And uh, they were just struggling mightily, and, and he's gotten his opportunity over at Juventus now, and he's making a real mark for himself. Uh, you have uh, Hoppy, who's really just come onto the scene uh, as a young player, first, first American to score a hat-trick in the Bundesliga. Uh, you have uh, Gio Reyna, son of Claudio Reyna, who, by the way, his, his mother is uh, Daniel Egan, who was a former uh, U.S. women's national team professional uh, and played professionally uh, otherwise. So there's some good genes there. Uh, I mean, this kid's 18 years old, and uh, he's making things happen over at uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, you know, Pulisic, who's, at, who's, been, who's 22 now, he's been on the scene for... I don't know, five, five, six years 
uh, at this point, and he's really starting to, you know, find his way at, at uh, Chelsea if he could stay healthy. Uh, Tyler Adams at Leipzig, who who was the um, stand was a standout player for them through their campaign last year. He's only 21. Um, Zach Steffen, the 25 years old goalkeeper at Man City, uh, who will likely become the starting goalkeeper for the men's national team. Uh, you have Sergino Dest, uh, first American to score a goal for Barcelona. He's 20 years old. Um, I mean, we're, we are getting ourselves on the scene, and there are a tremendous number of, of Americans uh, who, who are now making an impact um, you know, with, with their programs, uh, whether it's top division, top flight, or second flight uh, in the UK or in uh, Germany or, or Spain. Uh, other countries as well too, but uh, honestly, it's a really, really exciting time for us. And uh, I think the the next, uh, I know we'll probably get into covering the men's national team and and the impact of this, but um, you know, I, I think that we are in for a very exciting time in the U.S. for for men's soccer uh, for the next eight to ten years. Um, we're going to have the youngest group of players representing us uh, internationally. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be really, really exciting to, you know, just see where these players are going to be able to get us. I, I see the men's national team over the next two uh, Olympic and World Cup cycles. I see us at minimum getting into the round of eight, even possibly getting into the round of four. That's just how talented this young group of, uh, of players are at this point. That's pretty good. You know, you said better coaching. And they also have better role models as players to look up to because before they had, what, Alexi Lalas and guys like that. And Alexi Lalas was okay, I guess. I mean, for America, if you make it a, a national team, you're okay. But he doesn't know much about soccer. So I'm thinking, what made the change? Was it more foreign coaches coming over? Was it the fact that more foreign kids were coming over to play soccer in our college programs. What was the main thing, though? That's what I'm curious about. What gave these guys the rise? Because maybe it, they wouldn't get that any other way if they didn't have these people. What was it that made that happen? I, I, I'm going to tell you exactly what the impetus was behind That's this. what we want to hear. It, it was Quinsman in 2011 becoming the U.S. men's national team coach. He, he was the men's national team coach from 2011 to 2016. Uh, during that time, you know, a lot of a lot of lovers, a lot of haters. Um, I'm one of know, them, by the way, the hater the, part. The, the hater part. OK. Well, oh, he was we, awful. We, what he did to Landon Donovan <laughs> was not even nice. Agreed. Ag agreed. Absolutely. Jorgen you know, I mean, Klinsman, right? Yeah. Jorgen Klinsman. That's the only time and, I ever talked about soccer on my show until you guys, I met you guys was the hit that incident. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He he you know what? He was the first coach of the men's national team program that looked abroad to bring in in players um obviously his his all of his networking or most of his networking a lot of his relationships were back in germany uh where where he's from and where he spent the majority of his career playing um he went and started bringing in sons of uh of um people serving in the American armed forces. Uh, and uh, so he, you know, was collecting these players uh, that were playing over or living in Germany and, and playing in, in, in um, some professional clubs uh, at the youth level. 
Um, and and his 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 whole uh, methodology was bringing these players, um, players that have international experience uh, playing, whether it was at the highest level or not, uh, bring them in and start developing the players to just play it at a, at a higher standard. Prior to prior to to Klinsman, when you go back and look at the Lexi Lawless days and you know and and other players of that sort, you had very few and far between that were really technically gifted and that really tactically understood the way the game should be played. Um, the problem is there just wasn't enough of them. You know, even even when it got to the point, you know, Landon Donovan considered, you know, the darling of the men's national team for for all the years that that uh, he participated. Um, I think Klinsman was trying to make a point. I think he was trying to bring in younger players. Um, I think he was trying to get the team not to be so singularly centric around a player. Um, and it was an, I don't agree. I, I think that, I think that they could have brought Donovan back, whether it would have, uh, affected positively, uh, how we performed, uh, you know, we'll never know, but, uh, you know, he, right. he always- so Eric, what, Eric, Eric, what, sorry, just to interview that there. So what you're saying there is you've, you've got, you know, one of the, one of the most famous footballers on the planet ever to play football, won, won everything. And then he come he comes in and upsets the apple cart um, with one of America's heroes. But before all that happened, he would have gone in there, he would have looked at the project, and he would have seen what's happening way, 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 way down in the age groups. And you had you guys had nothing nothing coming through there was no infrastructure there was no technical coaches tactical coaches there was no under 16s 18s 19s 21s national team there was there was nothing there there was no setup and that for me i mean i've you know we've we spoke about this an awful lot i mean we've been involved in player development for you know the last 20 years for me, you know, there's no sentiment in football. Landon Donovan, yeah, brilliant. It would be interesting to see what his coaching was like as a kid, you know, because I would imagine it would be nowhere near what it is over here. And yet he still came over here. He played for Everton, if I'm not mistaken, for 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 a while, and done really well. So, yeah. what 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 Klinsmann did, he, you know, we wax lyrical about the Bundesliga and the German teams and things like that. Their infrastructure is absolutely unbelievable. It's almost as good as, if not better, than what we have here in the UK. When you're building a project, and to all intents and purposes, Klinsman went in there probably to ruffle some fre- ruffle some feathers, and and he, and he has done, obviously by you know your your opinion and yours, Phil, uh, for for you know not picking your golden boy or you know leaving him out in the dark or whatever it may be. But sometimes you have to make those decisions for the better of the cause. Now we've we've been together for 12 years whatever it may be 10 years whatever it may be and you know we've worked closely on developing footballers from eight nine years of age as what we do over here now if you're it won't work it won't work initially but if you've got a project and you've got a plan and you've got the infrastructure there to support the plan right this is what we're going to do and you get people to buy into it that's how academies in, in, in America will work, purely because people are paying for the service. 
that's the biggest thing. When you're paying for a service, I'm paying for something. I expect a certain value, a certain quality out of it. Over here in Europe, nobody pays to play football. They have the best coaches, but they don't. The kids don't pay. So that in itself creates a major problem, and and we've addressed this before. Klinsman went in there, ruffled some feathers, and probably has made the the the, the national team or the 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 progression for um, you know young quality potential players at this moment in time to to actually be recognised and come through and have opportunities. And that, for me, is one of the biggest things. You know, Ghana, Tanzania, Nigeria, Senegal, Ivory Coast, Sierra Leone, they've been doing what you guys are now doing for 30 years. They've been doing it for 30 years, and they've been connected with all the top clubs in in, uh, in Europe, not, not the UK, because a lot of African players couldn't come here. I mean, I've been over there numerous numerous occasions over the last 10 years. I've been there plenty of times and you know there's players over there that are far better than what we have in Europe and they can't come to the UK so then they start going through Portugal they start going through France um, you you look at all the players who've won World Cups with France and Spain and Portugal and play you know top top footballers that have had to come through these countries from from Africa just to try and have an opportunity now the Americans it's 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 not like that. That their your world and the, and the African world is completely different. But they've been doing it for thirty years, and it's not it's not a practice that's um it's 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 quite simple to do. It's quite simple to do. You have the right infrastructure, and you look at people from and the and kids from seven, eight, nine years of age, and then that's where you build the project. So when they come to sixteen, you've got the next under nines, under tens coming through. And then the 16s push on to 21s, 18s, 21s, and so on and so forth. And that's how things work. And Jürgen Klinsmann went over there to and, and upset all these people saying, this is how we do it over there. And th- these are proven ways of doing it. And obviously, they didn't, you know, you guys didn't like it over there. Well, you know, oh, I loved it. Well, go ahead. I loved it. I, I thought it, it was the change that we needed here in the u.s and sadly i agree yeah no no i agree you you were right you're right there we've we had conversations about this and i know 100 yeah. percent. well sadly, my view sad, was sadly the people who make the decisions you know uh and there's a problem as, right and exactly. there's the problem as as you stated were sentimental in regards in their decision making and they weren't looking at the bigger picture and again he's he he came over 10 years ago and as you can see, we've got all of these players between the ages of 26 and 16, 17. Well, guess where they all came from? They all came from the fact that we put these steps in place. We put the development. We I put agree. the ability I to agree. identify players at Pulisic the for me. ages. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, Pulisic for me is, is potentially one of the best players in Europe. Oh, he's tough. He's, he's, he, I mean, he is he is a phenomenal player. You know, I, we, we spoke about him before. You know, I questioned his mentality. He's come from America. And then I thought, well, hang on a second. He's, he's, he's been in, in the Bundesliga, which is the reason why he's now in the UK. And he's playing for Chelsea. You know, it's not just an, you know any other sort of mid-table team. He's playing for Chelsea and they, they outlaid an awful lot of money for him. So, 
the value in 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 that sort of transfer should be a story in itself and then you, and then obviously you know people pick apart uh, the whys and wherefores of how he came to a to b and c and things like that but he's proved himself and i know frank lampard came out with, and we've said this before on one of the podcasts he wasn't sure about him mentally and he's come out and he's shown his great determination and for me he's probably one of the listen is he as good as hazard not at the moment no but he's probably potentially as close to being a hazard type player and and, and he can play in numerous positions whereas Eden Hazard could as well but you know potentially he 21 22 years of age I mean he's got bags of time on his hands um you know and it would be interesting to see what route he took you know as we're talking about you know the the infrastructure and, and how did it all start for Pulich you know how did it all start from because you know he wasn't around with it in, in the Klinsman era so something must have changed for all these players to be coming through now, and they sack Klinsman and maybe take his ideas. Well, you know, Which, well, listen, that, you know, that, that's football, that's, they, that's that, and that's professional sport. Right. They've definitely done that. There's no question. But you know, they've brought in Greg Berhalter, who's been on the scene uh, for quite some time as a national player. Um, he's been coaching uh, for a number of years now. He's he's had good success, uh, but but. But where where he he's taken it to the next level, where Klinsman fell a little short was, you know, Klinsman brought all of his players in from Germany, okay, and they weren't. Yeah, necessarily... but the thing is, the thing is, what you've got, what you've got, he he was the he was the head of the national team, so right. he he his his remit was results based, not what goes on, you know, under nines upwards. Right, of course, of course. But, but, but... them 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 conversations would have clearly happened. Because Absolutely. that was that that would have been his job, you know. Right? Listen, I'm I'm the national team manager. This is where we need to start. You right. you understand what I mean? Right. And agreed. And and that's where he had his networks, and it was easy for him to go ahead and do that. And he could also do that uh, to some extent, uh, and not deal with, um, you know, the scrutiny more so than he was already dealing with. But the difference now is a wider net has been cast. They've gone to the different leagues. They've gone to the different countries. They, they've, they've looked for players or they've developed players or they found opportunities to get players into different leagues at different levels. And these kids are all getting the experience that our players were not getting. You know, when you play against the best 10, 15, 20 years ago, when you play against the best American players to compete for a spot, it's nowhere near the same realm of competing against the best Spanish players or the best English players or the best German players. There's no comparison. So Lexi Lawless or any of one of his sorts could have been, hey, he could have been one of the best 25 players or maybe one of the best eight to 10 defenders in the, in, in, in the U.S. at that point in time. Or maybe he had the right relationships from college coaches carrying into the men's national team program. But now that we've cast a wider net and we're looking at not just the best 100 players in, in, in America, playing in America, whether it's in college or the MLS, you're looking at the hundreds of players that are playing in different programs that are garnering different experiences and have had the, the luxury of having a better standard of coaching over the last decade or so 
all these things cumulatively have gotten us to where we are now. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's just going to be fantastic for, for American soccer. You know, my thing with the whole Klinsman, my argument was, here you are, you're trying to get people to watch because you're complaining that no one supports the United States men's, the, the national team. And you just released the best player, the most recognizable player. And that was a funny thing to do. Coming from another country, it was ballsy and it worked. But at the time, though, it wasn't well received. And, you know, Klinsman's kind of like, I guess, me. I'm a little brash, a little uh, a little brush under or gruff, whatever. I know what I'm doing and I know how I want to do it. And that's well and good, but it worked. And, and good for him and good for the United States. But, man, to go in there and cut the best, most recognizable player didn't suit him well. It didn't sit well with the teammates, really. Whatever happened to Freddie Adu? We only got a couple more minutes. Whatever happened to Freddie Adu? I remember hearing this all this big to-do about this kid. And whatever happened to him? Well, the problem is Freddie Adu was actually 63 years old when he came over to the U.S. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a scene out of uh, coming to America. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, though, remember, oh the, the, we have this 14-year-old kid who's going to be famous. <laughs> and didn't Manchester United sign him? No, no. They, they, no. They, no. So basically, he won, won a lottery ticket from Ghana. Is that right? And came over to the, uh, yes, to that's, the States. Yes, I heard that story. So, um, listen, there was no doubt in his quality, but at the time, you know, it, it, research and um, screening wasn't what it was, uh, wasn't what it is today back then. Right. Um, you know, I, we, we. Right, I mean, Barack Obama. I, I could, <laughs> I could <laughs> tell, listen, I could tell you so many this, stories about how many players we've oh. we've actually sold who have now been deported because obviously. They, uh, so I'll give you an example. We had, we had a player at one of our clubs um, and he turned up as an under-14. I sent him training with the under-16s. We sold him to one of the top Premier League teams for a lot of money uh, where they were able to do bone grafts uh, scanning. And he went in there as an under-15. Turns out he was 22 and he was subsequently deported back to Angola. So... That and that. Listen, let me tell you, that is not uncommon. That is, um, you know, it, it, it's more common than uncommon. Um, so, you, you know, I was talking about and and, and you know, waxing lyrical about the America, uh, the 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 African projects and things like that. Many of these players don't have addresses, so you know, you, you've got to think about it in in that respect. How are you going to get a visa when you can't, you know, you can't <laughs> prove where you, where you're actually living? So you know the, the, those type of logistical nightmares and um, you know the demographics of the African nations came into effect, you know more often than not. But Freddie Adu was an unbelievable player, an unbelievable player. But I think, as Eric said, you know as his body aged, I think he he, he got found out against the, the the age levels he was he was actually playing against. Um, so you know he was a man before he even. He even left 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 the states. Let's have it right, and it would be interesting to see what his bone graft figures were and what his real age is and things like that. You know, they still talk of Paul Pogba. You know, whether his age is is actually you know correct and and things like that. So, 
you know, uh, he he was one of uh, he was he was he was a phenomenon, a global phenomenon, and everybody, every man and his dog was after him. But I think um, with him with him going to, I think he ended up in Germany first, didn't he? And then you know, sort of yeah. did the rounds mm-hmm. and things like that, and it never re- really materialised for him once he actually was in an environment where not so much kids, you know, that the genetically were younger than him. I think, he, he, you know, he, he just didn't meet the level. And he know, never, was, he never the, broke in anywhere he played. No, never, he never, he never did. Never, he, never, he never set the world on fire, did he? Nope. He never set the world on fire, you know, and, and a lot of, a lot of clubs back then were buying, you know, when you're buying a kid, you're buying potential and that's it. You're buying potential. And then it's your job to then nurture that potential and, you know, rear this kid into what you see him potentially being. And, you know, there was a lot of clubs. There's a lot of sort of side deals that go on in, in, in football, right? Well, we're, we're going to bring a, you know, if you're, if you're a club in Holland, we're going to bring um, a kid in from Brazil. He can't come to the UK. We'll let him spend two years in, in Holland. Um, we'll pay his wages and we'll buy him off you for, you know, half the cost that we would do if we weren't putting any investment into him initially and that, that, that all these deals don't exist anymore um so i think that was probably you know the straw that brought the camels back in terms of those types of deals whereby you think about you know uh statistically how many how many teams would 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 invest in a player going to another country and into another club with the view of bringing him to your nation that, that have fallen apart so um, I don't. What's what? What is he doing now? Is he is he in a retire, retirement home on Rhode Island? I, I have no idea. No, he's playing in <laughs> Europe somewhere. I'm not oh, uh, really? sure. Where I think he's he playing is, in the second is. division of the Bundesliga. That sounds oh, that about right? right. Yeah. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, when you talk about deals, guys, because we got about a minute and a half left, we're going to give you the greatest deal of all time. We're going to offer you our picks, which we are way, way, way above 500. We're up about $4,000 in profit. And we're going to give them away for free until all this COVID crap and the world gets settled in a little bit. That's our gift to you for putting up with us every week on this show and taking our picks. We appreciate you so much. We want to thank CSN Sports Radio for airing this show and if you want to bring pro soccer weekly to your radio show contact me at cashwithflash.com and we will hook you up you can find the show at philnasonshow.com and you can find our picks at cashwithflash.com for eric and gary i'm the flash thanks for listening to pro soccer weekly you too scartastic i didn't forget you this time did i <laughs> You've been listening to Pro Soccer Weekly. Join us in our next installment for all of your pro soccer news on Pro Soccer Weekly. Pro Soccer Weekly.